Café Rollist is your caffeinated tabletop RPG break. It started as our exclusive Patreon show, but following a survey with our supporters, I am happy now to share its most recent episode here with you. If you enjoy this show, please consider checking out our archive of a hundred or so additional episodes, which are still exclusive on Patreon. Hello, welcome back to Café Rollist. I am back online. I'm back among the uh, somewhat living. My voice is still broken from my route with COVID, but hopefully my guest will be uh, talking a lot, so I won't have to use my voice too much today. Uh, Lowell, welcome uh, on Café Rollist. Could you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Lowell Francis, and I'm the community manager for the Gauntlet Gaming Calendar. I'm also the author of Asia Ravens, which is a long-running blog, which won an Emmy a few years ago. And I'm also the designer and co-writer for uh, Hearts of Ulin. Excellent. Uh, our last game was set in uh, in Wuxia, but it was not uh, Hearts of Ulin. Nice, you still get... Give a shot to other type of system trying to embrace the same sort of setting. Yeah, this the Osprey book is is interesting. After Lloyd Gon uh, ran that for us, I, I I picked it up. It's it's got a lot of of neat material in it, and I've tried to collect all of the Wuxia RPGs that people have put out over the years. Uh, uh, Tian Sha, uh, Chin. Uh, weapons of the gods, all of that, because there's lots of really interesting stuff in there. People have have different takes on it. Yeah, I actually have a Wuxia, a French Wuxia game, which has not been the subject of a translation yet, which is just called oh, really? Wulin. Uh, people can hear me buying it on one of our episodes. I bought it when I visited a store in France and uh, asked the the shopkeeper to run a few pitches for games and he was way too efficient and I ended up coming back with uh, <laughs> uh, several games, many of which I still need to to run. Uh, it's I think it's the beauty nowadays of tabletop RPG. Even if you're looking for something quite specific, you can find a lot of different takes which fit different tastes. It's really exciting times, I find. Yeah, well, there's a certain amount of democratization with the ability of people to to get access to tabletop publishing materials and also have, you know, drive through RPG is great, but it's, there's a little bit of a barrier there. But now with itch.io, we've got a lot more people able to produce interesting things and and stuff that I would never have thought of. Yeah, and it, it's... The there also it's where it's nice to have several things which caters to different needs. I'm about to publish something on Itch and not on drive-thru because I was advised that Itch was much more open-minded to works in progress. So that's something I'm discovering how designers don't only publish games there, but they publish their work in progress and people can support them, can play test, can give their opinion on what is going on. Uh, it's uh it's quite exciting as a tool. Yeah, I, and I'm glad to see people being uh, really clear about this is a work that's in progress. This is something we're developing. Um, like uh, I picked up uh, Karandan, 
Make God Believe, which is uh, a Filipino sort of high fantasy exalted game. And over the year that I've had it, the designer has worked and reworked it. And it's, it's beautiful now. Like, like they have, have built it up into a really solid game. It's, it's lovely. They've added art over time. They've refined the mechanics. And then, and not just like tweaked things like the last version they did was they really went back to the skill system and some of the other major mechanical elements and, and, and did a whole nother take on it. And it's wild to see that, to, to see those kinds of jumps being done by, by people in those, those projects. But at the same time, it makes things sometimes difficult to understand where they stand. Like for instance, I'm following Heart of Woodin, but not, not super thoroughly, uh, quite busy with other stuff. And for me in that example, it's, it's a bit difficult to realize, uh, at some point it was released, but it's not released yet. You had a Kickstarter a year or two years ago. Where, what's yeah, the no, we, status now? So one of the things we did was when, when the Kickstarter started, I had a, a packet with the core materials, uh, with the, the basic rules, the moves, but also a set of the character keeper spreadsheets. To, to play from and that's what we've updated over time uh uh i think like the last major change we made to that was a few months ago where i added in some of the stretch goal settings and materials so that the the people who backed the kickstarter could see those uh for i think almost all of the uh s setting add-ons um and so so people who've been in the kickstarter have had the, the versions has gone along. We've gotten some feedback on that. Not with the expectation that any of that is like publishable like stuff. But then last month, uh, finally, we got the final PDF edition of the core book. And that went out to people. And we've got a few more corrections to do. And so that's gone out to backers. And I believe the people who pre-ordered it. Uh, and then uh, uh, we're, we're going to get that into the offset print version, which is slightly different. Uh, but I don't think we've got that up on drive through anything. I, I don't know since that's a decision being made on the publishing side, whether we're going to have that up and available before we get the hard, like the, the printed versions out to people. I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds on that. Um, but yeah. I am glad that it is out in a PDF version to backers. So, so the next step is the physical prints, uh, I've heard uh, a few people using Kickstarter, not only they finance uh, the printing of games for the people who purchase it, but also the some print runs, so they have copies they can send to shops and sell at conventions. Uh, was that part also of that Kickstarter? Are you Do you have plans for running uh, more copies than has been already ordered? I, I'm going to be really terrible and say that. That I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I have... Here's the thing is, one of the strengths of uh, of this has been that there's a separate gauntlet publishing side that I'm really not part of, except for being a, a writer for it. And it's been really good to be able to hand those decisions, like managing the royalties, managing the Kickstarter uh, build up, and all of those decisions. You know, we have a contract; like we we split royalties and things like that. But I I will admit. Uh, uh, because it's not in my skill set, I deliberately don't know 
those things and that 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 sort of uh, uh abdicating responsibility but but I, I don't know i'm i think so i think they're going to be copies for shops and and things uh, i certainly hope so but uh, but i will say not probably not a huge number uh, you know the 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 economics of this in terms of selling to like indie press revolution and uh you know a few others distributors that that's still a pretty tight market uh, so you don't want to do a huge number of copies you know i used to work in academic publishing where you know we're like ooh do we do we print 250 copies or is that too many or too little uh, of a book and i i think the scale is the same for a game from a not big company that isn't in a series that doesn't have you know a big established license or uh like fate uh, uh you know has has a, a big system behind it oh it's a big system too big in my opinion well pbta <laughs> I, I disagree with you on that. No, I'm, jo uh, I'm joking. Just for the yeah, reference, yeah, I, I know, I know. So, I know, so, I so know. people know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the success of Fate. I was just joking about uh, today. There, were, there was recent episode of the Gauntlet podcast on which I was on, and uh, I was talking about my experience with the Gauntlet this, as a system, and that, that I thought it was a bit too complicated for my taste and the way it was sold for me so, so that people know i think it's great faith is great it's great to get a follow-up now and it's interesting having having talked done that conversation with you last month uh, i've been been really th thinking about that and how how i enjoy fate what i dig about it and what i want to present and so for example uh i put uh i hunt or hashtag I hunt on the calendar for I think May. No, I need to runs. sign up for that. I'd really like to try that one. Uh, I'll probably be running it again. It's it's a, it's a really good good setting, and it's a fairly solid implementation of Fate. Uh, and then I'll be putting some other Fate games that I like on the schedule because we haven't had a lot of that, and we do have people uh, in the community that that play Fate and and. Uh, I, I enjoy it. I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy running PBTA because PBTA for me is, it really kind of runs itself. Fate requires a heavier hand from the GM. I tried recently um, as part of a playtest the Tales of Xadia uh, oh. Cortex Prime uh, game and uh, I thought it was very elegant. Uh, hmm. I'm saying that because it sort of was doing what I expected Fate to do for me. Again, a question of expectations and the right. way it was sold to me. But it's sort of a nice for me sweet spot between something which is quite trad in the sense of uh, resolu action resolution focused compared to a PBTA, which is more trope enforcement and narrative shaping. Uh, but in a way which I thought was very clean and elegant because you got a number of different things like, like you do in fates. You got, I don't know, traits or situational traits or maybe stuff which are related to where and what you're doing. Uh, but they all have the same mechanical impact as far as I can tell. They all result in a, an additional dice in your pool being involved. So, uh, you got your attribute, that's one dice. Uh, you've got your skill, that's one dice. You got a special trait from your background, which says, oh, you're a guard of the city. And oh, if you use 
If it applies, you got a one die for that, and you got uh, special objects you might have. In my case, you have a special lens. If I'm using my lens, I got one other die, but the question is always, are those triggered? And if they are, the mechanical result is only that you have an extra die. So they, they, it's ve- it seemed very clean to me. And I was like, oh, actually, that, that reminded me of what oh, I pictured fate. Again, it's not a criticism. It's interesting how sometimes you got expectations and it's not the reality of a thing, which is uh, a source of discomfort is the mismatch between what you were sold or what you were expected and your actual experience. Interesting. Uh, 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 two things. I, I do think a good deal of what you've just said is, is applicable to fate, but that's a, that's a whole nother, like, yeah, yeah. That's a rabbit hole that we'll, we'll set aside. But, you know, I've played Cortex maybe eight or nine times now. Uh, I think the last one I, version I played was uh, the Leverage RPG. And I will say, I walk away from that game and I cannot remember the rules. <laughs> like, within within a minute of having walked away from the table, I couldn't explain to anybody how to how to play that. Um, and, and here's the thing. It, it bugs me because, like, I've tried to read the Hacker's Guide to Cortex, and I bought the new edition, and, they, and all of those things. And they all look beautiful. And I have all the leverage stuff and things. But there's some barrier I have that I can't really grok Cortex. And it's too bad because people are loving it. And yeah, that now we've got this Tales of Zidia uh, that's out there that, uh, you know, is a, is a neat thing. And th- that kind of bugs me. There, there are, like you, like, there are some systems that I've tried that I know people love. And, and they adore them and they just don't click for me. I had the same experience with Cypher System. Uh, I uh, spent a month running uh, three different versions of it, three different settings of Cypher on the gauntlet. I think I ran a dozen plus sessions trying to get a hold of why this game that powered Numenera and The Strange and all these things, why people loved it, and it didn't work for me. I'm quite curious how much Tales of Xadia, or at least the version I played because they called it the primer, and you can get those rules for free, I think. You can get the, the PDF, mm-hmm. and from what I was told by the person running it, it's uh, it's a limited version of the rules. I'm quite curious how it differs from other Cortex and Cortex Prime games because a bit like what you're describing... Uh, Michael Ross from the RPG Academy, he's got a show dedicated to Smallville. So Smallville, the show, uh, mm-hmm. and because we is, I know, we knows a lot of his guests, including myself, are tabletop RPG fans. So one of the projects for the Patreon, you know, when you have a certain number of followers for this show, which is not about tabletop role playing games, is still to run a session of Smallville, the Cortex game. Uh, I believe it's Cortex. And Michael, who is yeah. a seasoned game master, who played with different systems, uh, including the Dungeons and Dragons and so on, uh, apparently read it and he really struggled to understand how the system worked. And, and that really surprised me with my experience of Tales of Xadia because it, it was very straightforward. So it might be a case of it's a very accelerated version. Yeah. And keep in mind that Smallville and 
Supernatural and the early Firefly and those are very early Cortex games and have a lot heavier set of things going on. Uh, even Leverage uh, uh, has has a few like mechanical things that that seem to me a little bit like not intuitive when I played. Um, so I, I expect that the new version is probably much more more streamlined. And I, but I, and I think that that's necessary for something where you're going to want to to sell it to a broader public. I guess it's a bit of a case. That's not what they call, but uh, it's a bit like if we were comparing the very first edition of Dungeons and Dragons with D and D fourth or fifth edition. The the things have evolved almost beyond recognition uh, between the, those versions. Um, the very different games with very different assumptions about what you're supposed to be doing at the table. Yeah, sometimes it's confusing when you have a an ecosystem of systems. Like I interact a lot with the the crew at Modifuse, and they got a whole range using two D twenty. You got the the team of Free Alligan who's got their mutant year zero system, but it's not like it's not like GURPS. You're not supposed to take your character from Tales from the Loop and play it in Aliens, or you're not supposed to play your Star Trek. Uh, captain and suddenly it's compatible with your Conan the Barbarian uh, or Arkham Tulu character. They they got the same core system, but they are really customized for for specific settings and experiences. Oh yeah, the the, the difference between say Forbidden Lands and and Mutant Year Zero and how Tales of the Loop approaches the same thing is is, is striking. I the, and as you say. There's a massive difference in assumptions about what you are going to be doing in terms of resolution between Conan and, say, Dishonored right now. So uh, you mentioned your blog, Age of Ravens, uh, mm-hmm. one and any. That's uh, really impressive. And you, you also mentioned that you got a long-running RPG genre history series project. So what is that about exactly? Is it about categorizing systems or settings uh, i saw a, a post you made recently about uh games with licenses so what mm-hmm. is this project uh so this started gosh this must be seven or eight years ago at this point and there had been a comment that i heard on then robin's uh game uh uh, their their podcast yep. uh, from a Pelgrim. And they had talked about, well, X game was the first game that did this in the thing and really sparked the genre. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm from started gaming in the mid seventies. So, you know, I, I was there and I worked in game shops in the early days. So I'm very cognizant of products that, that came out. And I was like, Gee, I wonder if that's true. And uh, so I started looking at all the horror RPGs that had been put out. And I started creating a list that was broken down by several years uh, to to just say, well, here are the games that came out in this period. Uh, for, for example, if I look at that first list of horror games, uh, we've got you know, Call of Cthulhu is, is the first that I can find. And then there's like uh, Stalking the Night Fan, Ghostbusters and Chill. And building up 
uh, a chronology of those games in each genre uh, and and talking about each game for a little bit, uh, sometimes longer discussions, uh, uh, sometimes shorter paragraphs, just mentioning what's going on in them, uh, sometimes an analysis, uh, sometimes my reaction to what the, the game is like. Uh, and that's it's a pretty hefty uh, series at this point. I've covered a horror. Uh, I've covered uh, superhero RPGs. Uh, I've covered cyberpunk RPGs. I've covered steampunk and Victoriana as one thing. Uh, post-apocalyptic games, uh, universal RPGs. Uh, I've done a little bit with uh, Western slash Wild West games. Uh, 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 and the, the one I've been working through and then up to 2002 is all of the games that are built on licensed properties. Um, entries range anywhere from 2,000 words to, to 6,000 words. <coughs> on a particular entry. So it's, it's a pretty hefty uh, set of content that I put together by this point. Have you ever run into situation in which you had, because the, you know, the, the history, the chronology, uh, and I don't think things always fit as a A, B, C, and D things often happen in parallel, but uh, over the last year, I've become more and more uh, aware that you've got almost this, uh, genesis of tabletop role-playing game described as, and then uh, chain mail, and then Dungeons and Dragons, and from there, mm-hmm. tabletop RPG was born. Role-playing was born uh, in a gam- gamified uh, version. But when you look in other genres which are somewhat parallel and cross with tabletop role-playing game, like um, oh, I always forget how they called in English, um, fighting fantasy type of uh, read your own adventure books or maybe epistolarian role playing mm-hmm. you find cases which are older so I think it's from the 1920s there, there were a couple of ladies from the US who developed write your own adventures books already oh, yeah. and that, that that was a very hard choice that I had to make when we were kind of when I started working on this project is there are those things that, as you say, that the choose your own adventure and the fighting fantasy, uh, you know, uh, 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 do do I, I add those in? And I opted not to just because of the volume of mm-hmm. things. And, and, you know, the same thing with as we get into later years, I have to make a choice about which items we want to cover, uh, you know, how much of it, you know, uh, of the like very small electronic publications, you know, the dozen pages and things like that. And so there comes a point at which I went, okay, I'm going to only cover things that have a physical release or if they're in PDF electronic release, that they have, you know, a certain number of, of pages. And yeah, there's a ton of stuff that I have to leave out. But in the early days, you know, my, my, what I'm doing there is, is, uh, more of a kind of chronology, general, uh, than than a historical uh, analysis. Like as you say, there's there's a bunch of of people doing really interesting work in trying to analyze the roots, like uh, the that playing at the world book uh, by I want to say Ossif, but I think I might be wrong. Where he breaks down 
the history of D&D from Kriegspiel. Um, yeah, that's, uh, Kriegspiel and, is very interesting in, the, in that field. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Designers and Dragons, uh, the book by, uh, uh, by Shannon Applegleine, kind, I'm going to say that wrong, uh, which, which does like a more publisher analysis of, of how the games go. You know, it's a thing is, is, uh, I call them histories of particular genres of RPGs, but I'm not a historian. Uh, I, I wish I were and could provide, uh, you know, had the rigor to provide a lot of the context for these things. Cause I know that there's, there's a lot more and, and, you know, there comes a point in which I'm like, I've already written, you know, 1500 words about this one game <laughs> on this list. I need to move on. And and get to another one. That reminds me of a couple of my favorite podcasters who are dedicated to history, and it's it's always like that. As soon as they, they start pulling a thread, uh, there's a huge temptation to just. I mean, like one of my favorite ones is Dan Carlin, and famously he did a series dedicated to. Uh, uh, it's called Death Throes of the Republic, and it's about the fall of the Roman Republic, and. But the, the reason he made this six part series about that was he just wanted to do one about Cleopatra. And mm. then he was like, well, if I talk about Cleopatra, I need to talk about Pompey and Julius Caesar. If I talk about Julius Caesar, I need to talk about this and that. And then you end up with, uh, six time, uh, six episodes each four hours long. Uh, that's uh, a huge amount uh, of things. Uh, I sort of skipped over traditional question, uh, which are uh, regarding the impact of COVID on your your daily life. But uh, yourself and the gauntlet had a huge part in my life since COVID because it's since then that I, I discovered your community. And by far, the gauntlet is the, the people I've been playing the, the most with. Uh, but what's the experience you as a the community manager of the gauntlet? Did you see a lot of growth? Did the, the type of game change in natures or frequency? So one of the things that's interesting is we had had uh, three, four years worth of uh, really organized online play experience before uh, uh, COVID hit. Uh, so, you know, bef before March of 2020, we had already built up uh, a large community. We built up the tools. We had our app for organizing games. And so it wasn't that hard for us to, to transition, uh, uh, into that. And we had, we had, we had spent a long time building up that knowledge. And one of the things that happened uh, very quickly, once once the COVID thing happened, is us watching traditional face-to-face -face RPG groups online uh, start to panic uh, and start to to figure out. I mean, I had I was running, you know, uh, three or four online games a week, but I also had two face-to-face -face games that I had to make a decision: do we move them to online? Do we end them, and, and so on. And one of the things the community did at that point was some people started working on putting together just tools, character sheets, guidelines, safety things, you know, not, not necessarily building new safety things, but safety things that were existing, putting it all together for people so that we could 
ease the transition of people moving from face-to-face to online. Uh, uh, Rich Rogers, for example, did a, a really nice blog post about, okay, you're playing a face-to-face D&D game now, and you want to transition to something online and maybe more indie. Here, Here's how you work through that. And that was really solid. And then the other thing that happened is that the, our community itself, we started talking about, okay, how do we make it more accessible for new players? Uh, you know, how, how do we establish tools and guidelines that when people come in, we can very easily onboard them and get them into a game, uh, which led to uh, the creation of a couple of programs. One is the, the Gauntlet Gameway program, where we set aside some of our priority RSVP signups for marginalized gamers, uh, uh, LGBTQ, uh, uh, women, uh, uh, gamers that might not be ser- uh, as well served by traditional uh, uh, setups, and uh, also for those who are suffering financial hardship uh, to to give them access to that. So that's one thing. And that's something the community said, hey, we need to do this. And then the community also said, we need to do an online convention that's just dedicated to bringing new people on, showing them how to play, showing them some of these new games. And that's where the, the Gauntlet community open gaming came from. Like, like I, I helped shepherd it and kind of direct it, but it, it, both of those things were very much the community saying, this is a need we have to serve and getting out there and serving it. Um, and, and that's, that's been great. Uh, I would say, I mean, we haven't had, we've had growth. Well, we say we've had dynamite growth. Uh, and I'm glad for that because I, I would like to see that growth, not going necessarily to, to us all the time, but to other communities and other gaming conventions and things like that. Uh, Cause I think that we benefit, all of us benefit when there are more communities of online gaming going on out there and hopefully increasing the diversity of the kinds of people that are playing them. Yeah, and I think there's something also which becomes very different as soon as there's a this critical mass of people playing online and communities, especially if they have each specific cultures and interests which are different. We uh, so you this episode, the Gauntlet, I participated to. Uh, uh, we, I was, I brought up the subject of it's, we don't have the language yet of explaining what type of game masters we are or, or we are looking for. But, uh, I was thinking about that really listening for the first time to the episode today and remembering our conversation. And it reminded me of the conversation I had elsewhere. It's something new to have a luxury to be able to pick game masters or pick players. So, a lot often I discuss with people, I try to encourage them to be curious, to try different games, but the answer is, oh, my group is not into that. Or I don't have a game master who does that in my area. And even living in London, uh, having several gaming clubs here, I didn't have the luxury before COVID. Uh, it was probably there, but uh, I did not tap into it yet of like the gauntlet and other communities being able to say, okay, I heard of this game. I heard of Hearts of Woodin on a podcast. I'd like to try it. And then I show up and I can find a game to join there. So, so now, now I'm, t- I'm, I'm becoming 
peakish and I want to be able to say, okay, well, are you running that exactly? And, you know, make my choices. But until COVID, to some extent, there was not, it was not a practice to curate your table and be able to, to play whatever game you want to get to play because they are available. Yeah, there are, there are a couple of dimensions to that. One is that, as you say, that just having a, a, enough people out there that we're getting a bunch of different games. Uh, another thing has been setting up, at least in, is as you know, in our community on our our Slack channel, a, a a channel that people can just come and say, "This is a game I'd like to play." I've heard about. Is anybody running it? Um, and if somebody is running it, can you save me a, a seat in it? And so that's gone a long way to having helping people be comfortable and trying out these new games. But I think one of the other really exciting things to me is that we do have this open table policy. Uh, so like essentially anybody can sign up for a game. Uh, in in most cases, with a few exceptions, you can just sign up for one game, try it out. And if it's not your bag, you can go and, and play something else. And that's allowed us to reach more people. And it's also been a process where as we as GMs have had to learn and adapt to that, have had to change how we approach things to be able to provide drop-in players and drop-out players. Um, and I think it's it's a challenge, but it's also something that uh, is a real, a really strong learning experience for for GMs. It's it's really uh, what's the expression? You know, it lifts a weight from your from one shoulder. And uh, recently, I had to cancel several games because of uh, health issues and availability issues, and it was nice. That because I played several games at the Gauntlet, I knew that that was really not something I, I should add to my worries about. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm letting down my group and so on. Uh, or are they gonna are they gonna be upset that I leave the table because uh, I cannot? Uh, it's something which comes across as absolutely normal. It's not. It doesn't mean as a result that you have people leaving tables without reason uh, all the time. I don't see that happening. Uh, but one thing I, I I often point out when I try to bring people to the gauntlet, uh, thanks to that, I guess, but I, also because of the culture uh, of the gauntlet, people should really reply to games which are fully booked, especially if they are new players, because I see, in my experience, you make room for new players when you see them in the waiting list, or just the circumstances make it yeah. so that often when you're in the waiting list, you're going to end up in the game. Not always, but often. There, There's a large percentage of games that uh, by the time the, the game series starts, the, the wait list, people have moved up from there to the actual playlist. And that's great. That, that means that, that people have checked their schedule, they, they've assessed what they can do and, and have, have opted to you know, uh, let others have those uh, that space. Um, you know, and our, our our app is set up to to manage that. Um, and yeah, I I think it's like it, last time we ran the data, it was like thirty percent of games take from the wait list to, to towards the end. Um, but yeah, 
it's been great to me to see the community step up when somebody says, gee, I'm a new player. I'm having a hard time getting into sessions. I'd really like to play this. Uh, and then we, we get them, get them into that. Um, you know, and then here's the thing is, uh, we have a lot of GMs. All our GMs, of course, are voluntary. These are, these are people who are volunteers who are, are running these games because they like to run and they're running different things. Uh, and they're responsive to what the players need. Um, to what, what's exciting and hot, uh, which changes, you know, we used to have a lot of dungeon world on the gauntlet calendar, but over time, you know, that has changed. Uh, but this, this is about these, these GMs deciding to do this for themselves, like, and, and really supporting the community. And, and that's great, um, that, that there's that kind of excitement to it. Um, and it, it's great for, the fact that one of the things is that uh, people who want to run for us, uh, we ask them to play with us first, uh, play in a few sessions so that they see what our play culture is like, so that they see how we structure safety tools, so that we see how we structure sentence, uh, sessions, how we structure feedback at the end. I think that's really important because we actually had some people that have come in and been very excited and have played with us and said, Oh, I'm more comfortable with a very trad game, or I'm more comfortable with a more structured game, uh, and 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 we've given them that chance, that chance to see if this is something they want, you know, and to to know how we manage table talk, how we manage play culture, things like that, to to learn that, and I think that having that freedom to jump in and oh, this isn't for me, being able to say politely step out uh we've got a real good play culture of communication um the only time i kind of follow up on people and and like try to try to push on people is when people don't communicate with their gms or 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 don't show up or things like that that that's the the only times we have any any really strong friction in the system i think but what i find also fascinating is how not only you've got a pool of volunteer game masters but a lot of those game masters are designers fine-tuning their games or promoting their games i mean that's that was my motivation to be honest when i joined the gauntlet i wanted to test and promote uh, the, the, my first game that i'm developing but uh i find it fascinating to see even people i don't think they've been running games but i remember ian cooper from chaosium posting on the forum for opinions on rules that they were developing or fine-tuning for the next uh, Glorenta Hero Quest. Uh, a lot of the games I played often were with people who were the designers of those games, and sometimes uh, several months later, a version of those would turn up on each uh, and so on. And there's also a big culture of hacking games, which I find really fascinating. So, yeah, what, what's uh, are you involved as well in the that aspect of the the community? Yeah, I, I want to say this is like there are a lot of people that play that are GMs that have played and have ideas for games, and uh, maybe they they would or wouldn't take it to their face to face group because that maybe okay we only meet every two weeks and we meet in person. I don't necessarily want to want to put them through, through that um, to try things out. We've developed a strong culture to tell the GMs, Hey, 
if you've got an idea and you want to try out a game, try it out. Tell people in the description, hey, this is a thing I wrote. I, um, we're, um, I'm kind of playing it out to see how it works. And we've got a lot of players who are like, yeah, I played with you as a GM. You're a great GM. I'm going to try your game. Uh, Hearts of Wulin started as that, is I had wanted to do something that simulated uh, Wuxia, a TV series like The Untamed, uh, and uh, A Proud Smiling Wanderer, and uh, Laughing in the Wind, and those kinds of things. And so I, I kind of wrote this up over time, and I said, hey, I'm going to try this, and people tried it and liked it. Um, you know, and I've hacked a bunch of different existing games to slightly other other systems to make them work for me. You know, on the most recent podcast I did with you, I talked about uh, hacking Knights Black Agents a little bit to make it fit with how I did things. Uh, I've done the same thing with Changing the Lost, which I I adore. I think that's just a dynamite setting. Uh, but I, you know, to make that a PBTA game. In, in a way that I enjoy and, it, and I've, I've done it and it's a glorious mess um, <laughs> and, and, and a bunch of other things. Some of the things work. Some of the things don't like I, I did a, a seventh C hack with D six uh, sort of the D six system that from star Wars and it was okay. Wasn't great. I, I might go back to it at some point, but it's, it's an experiment. And I'm, I love that people on the gauntlet are willing to, a, take that step and 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 try those things out, uh, at, you know, to put them out there because that's a that's a real risk. Ooh, you know, I don't, I built this. Is are people going to enjoy it? Uh, and are people going to lambast me in the the, the end comments? Uh, and then at the same time, players being willing to to try it out and give solid feedback. And we and we've been blessed with a, a, a number of really exciting designers. I think Alan Rees has been doing very cool uh, things uh, uh, across the, the board. Uh, we've had, we have a number of designers that have been with us for a while and have moved on to uh, doing other, other things, building their own discords and things. And I think that's great. Uh, for a long time, we had uh, uh, the, the people who wrote um, a good society. They, they ran a bunch of things for us and tried out some new games. And, and when, uh, when G plus shut down, they kind of moved into uh, their own thing. And I think that's, that's dynamite. Uh, and of course the co-host of the gauntlet podcast is uh, Jamila uh, Najati and they are, they are brilliant. Uh, and they came to us because I had seen their, their game on itch.io and I loved it. And I, I kind of boosted it. And then they came and ran at one of our gauntlet cons a few years ago, and then they came back and they've been able to to play and play test a lot of things. And some of that stuff, uh, like the announcement last week that Apocalypse Keys, Jamila's Apocalypse Keys is being done by Evil Hat. And that's something that uh, literally they were like, oh, I really want to do this. And they started play testing it with the community. Uh, to, to build the basis that they could then take and go and and showcase to other places. And it's it's so good. Uh, and here's the other thing is, if if you've got a great game and you've done this and people play it, people will say, hey, can I now run it for other people? Like uh, Alexi Sargent uh, of Cloven Pine Games 
Uh, I know that his game, Plutonian Shores, that he's working on, he ran it. People really liked it. And now other people are running it. Uh, and the same thing with his uh, Checkpoint Midnight game. And that's that's great. It's great to have the community supporting each other's designs. Yeah, and it's very contagious, you know, when you start being exposed to that and you, you join a game and you're told, oh, I'm running this game. It's by Alexis. So uh, Alan ran uh, Checkpoint Midnight for me and a couple of others. So at the end, you had to ask you for the feedback for Alexis. And you try this game, and you can see it's in progress. It's yeah, it's very contagious in the sense that you well, I'd like to try something like that. You know, I love Nephilim, but the system it's a bit old. It's BRP. I think it's not supporting the tone as much. So very quickly, you start having your own ideas and, and an appetite to to do it. And I must say, it's very interesting also how your podcast, the Gauntlet Podcast offers a snippet of that. I really like how it's structured, always with two or three or, or from the community and talking about the experience of the game because there's a lot of shows which debate different topics. There's a lot of shows on which designers show up to plug their, their, their game, to tell about their own game, what they want to do and please go subscribe to my Kickstarter and so on. There's a lot of actual play games but i don't know that many shows in which you got players sitting down and saying i tried that and this bit i really liked and this bit i didn't like as much but this was very unique and oh i cannot wait to try this thing it's it's very special and i really like the type of content and feedback it offers about uh, the act of playing and the act of designing a game you know, uh, yeah, it's for me, the one thing I've loved and the thing that we've tried to focus on with the, the Gauntlet podcast is is play, that you play things and you talk about how they work at the table, what you like about them, that that that, yeah, you can read through a game and you can give those impressions of a game, but you really only know what a game is doing when you have a chance to try it at the table uh, and and see how that works. And, and I, I, I kind of, uh, adore that, uh, because I, I like to play. And, you know, one of the things is I, I've, I, for a long time, I got in the loop of, I'm just a GM. I've got to keep running, you know, blah, 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 blah. And at a certain point last year during the, the COVID thing, I, I could see that I was burning myself out. And rather than running three different games a week on the gauntlet, I, I cut it down to two and I was like, I'm going to play more. And that, that really opened things up. I've tried some things. I've learned new GMing techniques. I've seen games that I might not have otherwise played like Fate of Cthulhu. That's not something I necessarily would have gone to run. Um, you know, I'm playing Last Fleet now by, by oh, Josh nice. uh, Fox. Um, and, and that's been an interesting one because I'm enjoying that experience, but I also realized that that maybe not is not the game for me. Like the tone uh, and, and all the military stuff in it is maybe not what I want. I, 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 will, I will come out of the other side of that having learned a lot and having enjoyed my time, but overall, uh, you know, recognizing that, you know, some games are good, but maybe... Maybe the feel of them isn't isn't what I want, but I'm playing with people that I like, 
and I'm comfortable with. So I'm willing to go through that experience because just playing with them is, is great. Um, and I, I think that's, I know a lot of people who are super GMs, uh, who, you know, oh, I just want a GM and things like that. And, and that's, that's great. I think you need to play too. I think, I think you've got to, uh, uh, it, it, it broadens your, your horizons. It, and it shows you what games look like at the table. Um, I sometimes hit games that I read through the rules. I read what elements they've put in there. And I'm, I'm like, you haven't considered how this rule book is going to get used by how these reference sheets are going to actually get used by players, how, how easy it is to, to get at things. Uh, and this is not to knock blades in the dark, but I'm about to knock blades. in the dark. <laughs> um, I, I love blades in the dark. Like, I love the Forge in the Dark stuff. It's it, and I think Blades in the Dark, that core book is, for me at least, it's a great teaching book. Like when I read through that and go from place to place in that, I'm like, ah, I get this part. I get this part. And it, it slowly builds up. Like it feels like a really good textbook. I think Blades in the Dark is ass when it comes to the table to try and figure out where where reference points are. Um, I, and I ran three years of blades in the dark and still every time i had to look up particular things i could never find it because the organization was based more on teaching than it was on obvious here's where the sections are and these are clearly marked out and things um and that's something that you learn only from from play and from having those things you know uh to to look through i think uh, i don't remember who it was uh this this ah, it's probably lloyd can Uh, because we were saying it's that always it, Lloyd, it's always Lloyd <laughs> that, uh, as a hobby, it was quite difficult to access. Uh, but to some extent, I think it's, um, it's almost as much a feat as a fault of the tabletop role playing hobby because you, it's a hobby which needs to be social. It's very difficult to learn it and practice it on your own or even just with your little group. Sure, that, that used to be the way for a lot of people, but it's it's a tremendous amount of effort. So as soon as you... And nowadays, it's much easier to find people. The best way to learn it is to do it with other people. And I say that as someone, I am I I'm getting worse and worse and worse at reading a, a, any book of role-playing game. I'm terrible at that. A, I'm terrible at reading them. I'm very slow at reading them if they are not really concise, not simple, but very focused on what they're doing and limited in scope. Uh, I lose track immediately. And second, when I try to apply what I read, at that especially with PBTA, I read it and I'm like, yes, yes, that makes sense. I even read books by French authors which are about, how do you run this PBTA game strictly? And I read that, I'm like, yes, it makes sense. And then I'm at the table trying to game master it. I'm like, I'm completely lost. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So it's very important for me to be able to sit down at a table as a player. At this point, I accepted it. And I'm like, if anyone wants to sell me a Kickstarter a game, they will have to put me at the table with someone who's running their game. Uh, because I I won't buy something anymore. 
which I'm reading, even because even if I'm f- love the concept, even love, and I manage to read front to back the book, I won't be able to run it. I just can't. I really need to play it first, and then I will run what I remember out of it, and maybe double check some things uh, now and then. I'll say two things on that. One is the default assumption for all games when people put them on the calendar, and I think this is another really important part of what we do, is the GM is going to teach you the rules. You don't have to have the books. You don't have to know the rules. The GM is going to teach you what you need to know. And, you know, we encourage to say to GMs, you need to do that, which also means the GMs, you need to know what you need to teach. Which means stripping down the system to the most basic things and, and, and knowing that. And, and we've had really good success with that of GMs working and, and teaching games. But the other thing I've seen that has been something that I've, I've figured out and that a lot of the other GMs have figured out is one of the best ways to figure out a game you know, to is to skim the rules. For me, it's okay. Where's the resolution system? Where's the character sheet? You know, and then I go to everything else. But is to build an online character keeper. Yeah. Like, because you go, okay, what do the players need to see? What What do they need to know? What is the minimum amount of information they need to have? What What quick rules do I need to put in here? How do I make this easy? And that is how uh, that's been my process for learning new games over the last year and a half, two years is if I'm like, okay, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. Let me stop. Let me read through it and let me build a, a, a character keeper spreadsheet, take somebody's template and, and tweak it and see how I can get that. You know, that's, that's part of what allowed me to finally uh, make some changes and get Star Trek adventures to work for me. Uh, Nibiru uh is another one that i've been working on a character keeper for because when i read through the rules i I still wasn't sure about what was happening in it and and doing that process has has made it easier for me to go oh i this is how this is going to change this is how i have to to show it to the players um and here are the 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 basic rules that i need to do i was so annoyed recently i joined the stream of uh, Pope Tulu and I, I talked briefly about that on the Slack of the Gauntlet. I had to create just my character in Pope Tulu and I was so frustrated that there was no character keeper to the standards of the Gauntlet. I was like, I'm so annoyed trying to create this character. I just want to, to click drop downs and select my options and then have stuff put in place. Since then I found out you can do it through the Foundry apparently. But it's still, it's still way more complicated than uh, the sort of tools which are, which are listed and people can find them. I'll probably put a link to them, uh, on the online resources of the gauntlet. You got, uh, that, that's the first place when I went actually, when I was, mm-hmm. and I posted, I was like, is there a Pope to the <laughs> character keeper on the gauntlet? And no, there isn't because, uh, PRP is a bit boring, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the, you know, the, there's also another aspect of culture. I was a bit shocked. I guess I was lucky that when I started role-playing games, it was not expected from players. Actually, it was forbidden to some extent for players to buy the core book of whatever game you really? we were playing. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of the deal that... But I think it was a good rule. Uh, not 
you know, not completely uh, not the question of trust, but the rule was if we were three game masters, we could not run the same games because uh, I guess it came from a trust issue, which was bad, which was you, <laughs> were, not say, yeah. you were not supposed to know the secrets from this or that game. But the this good side effect what it was that it encouraged a diversity of games being played. And I know some games I played, like Nephilim, I played it because the f- brother of my game master bought another game they wanted to run. And they were, okay, what am I running then? And they, they picked up Nephilim. And once they picked up Nephilim, their older brother could not pick Nephilim. <laughs> they had to play it. So it enforced that among three wow. game masters, uh, it sort of changed over time. But that's, te- that's wild to me. But technically, it made that you had three game master in that group of uh, I don't know half a dozen people. Uh, you will never end up with the situation of the three game masters all running Dungeons and Dragons, because one game master was the Dungeons and Dragons game master, and the other was an FLM one, and the third one was the Vampire the Masquerade one. And uh, maybe there could be arguments whether Werewolf was part of Vampire the Masquerade, and you could because the lore and uh, yada, yada, yada. But the result was that you would play different games. And because of that, as the player, you were not expected to know the rules religiously before showing up at the table. But flash forward to a couple of years ago here in London, and I'm running at a club, Star Wars D6, at a club where they play a lot of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. And I was shocked by the number of my players who signed up for the game who asked me, okay, so uh, what are the rules? I was like, you don't worry about that. You show up, it's Star Wars D6, it's simple, don't worry. No, 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 no. Uh, where can I find the player's handbook? Because they were in that mindset, this yeah. ecosystem of Dungeons and Dragons, that there's so much system mastery, which is part of your enjoyment, even as a player that you need it, you will impair your enjoyment and you will impair the enjoyment of other people at the table if you do not master the system. So so it's kind of helpful when you show up at the Godnet, you're like, no, 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 you don't need to know Spire, you just show up. Leandro will explain to you. Uh, well, and here's the thing is, I would say that in the 80s and 90s for, you know, we played Champions and GURPS and uh, a world of darkness and uh, all of those things. And yeah, everybody bought the rules. Everybody had, had it. It was a very different thing. Like everybody bought copies of it. Only one person was ever running, but everybody had all the, the reference materials. And, uh, I'd say the change happened like right around the two thousands that in micro people were like, I don't want to buy any more things. Just, you know, lol, just, just run this game. Tell us what we need to know. Um, you know, and so th- there was a change. We started playing like fate and house systems and, uh, hacks of storyteller and, uh, blades in the dark and, and those things. And the players are like, just tell us, give us reference sheets and tell us what we need to know. Um, and, and that was a real change. And, and so I was glad to see that also on the gauntlet. I remember the uh, yeah, yeah, these these days. I'll tell you, I'm not sure I want to run any game that, uh, like can't be run without the players having a copy, like Pathfinder or or something like that. Like to to really 
do those games justice. The players need to have their reference materials and have all their character stuff and things um, and and know the mechanics of it. And I'm not sure I could, could run that. Yeah, no, well, I, I presume, but I think I know you, like me, uh, it's not, it's not a judgment of the qualities of those games. It's, no. it's a question of taste or availability uh, to run those types of, of games. Yeah, and, and like my like a face to face local group, which probably total amongst the various games is probably about a dozen plus people. Uh, you know, and they come and play in our our action cards, which is our card based fate hack. Or they come and play uh, Blades. But then there's another group. They're playing Pathfinder. They've got six, seven people at the table. They're playing Pathfinder. They have a guy who who, who plays in all my other games. But, uh, you know, he's the crunchy guy. And, you know, he's spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on miniatures and f- figures and things like that. Uh, and and that's, that's the experience that he gives. Yeah, my, my only... Criticism of those type of systems that I find they tend to be ecosystems which to some extent are built to keep people inside. And people tend to have the expectation that other systems might be as complicated. So uh, in an ideal world, uh, I would encourage people have breaks and play little games as well. I mean, it's like, hmm. I don't know, you could play poker and be excellent at poker and still play a game of, mon- you know, even a DM word, Monopoly, you know, and then or set- at least Settlers of Cat and uh, without expecting that uh, you are available just for a single game and you need to play it all the time. And uh, if you try to learn any other game, it will be as demanding uh, as the one you're playing at the moment. Well, and that in order to get the most experience, the, the, if you want to get everything out of the table, if you want to, you need to know the system that, that, that there's a culture of, of system mastery and, uh, you know, expectations that other players know their roles and know how the system works. And, and the only way this works is if everybody knows what they're doing. You know, I've, I've, my friend who runs Pathfinder, he plays in like when he goes to a convention. He plays in every like shared world Pathfinder game, and you know there's expectations, and he gets frustrated if there's some players who don't know the rules and they mm. don't know how to run their character. And I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> dude, 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 you know. And I've played in those games where I'm the guy who has no freaking idea <laughs> what 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 is the best thing to do, um, and 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 I I don't dig that. <laughs> yeah. I would have issues as soon as character creation with those sort of game because, oh yeah, so then I want to create a gnome and I take this power and this feat and then people say, you don't want to do that. That's a yeah, terrible yeah. combo. <laughs> and I'm like, it's a, it's oh, really no. inefficient. <laughs> but Your I damage mean, per second uh, is going to be really uh, low, boy. <laughs> Even MMORPGs, I would show up with a troll who was a shaman, and people would be like, that's that's terrible. They got very hey, bad I, charisma. Years of running a troll shaman in uh, <laughs> EverQuest, so I have I have no 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 qualms about that. But yeah, yeah, I uh, one of the things is if you give up this this if this you detach from the desire to master a system. 
that allows you to be willing to go and dabble and try other things. You broaden your horizons when you detach, you give up on that attachment and allow, allow a greater breadth of experience. And at the same time, I'm, I'm a, I'm a grumpy old man because at the same time as. Oh yeah, I, you definitely I, are. I, I'm as, I'm as upset by people who are like, I played this, but we, we just ignore the system. We, we do all these crazy things, uh, in this game. And you're like, but you're ignoring the game. <laughs> you could use another game to do that. It would be so much better for everyone. No, no, well, rules don't matter. Uh, rules of cool, everything. And I'm like, ah, okay, rules of cool, but yeah, maybe try another system. <laughs> See, I, I, I can, I can get that, but I'm okay with those changes. If people are very clear about them, it's it's when you get surprised by something that that okay, you know, I've I've assumed that this is how the game is working, and then you've changed some core facet, or you're ignoring this thing that that the choices that I've made are built on. Um, you know, that's where I get grumpy. But otherwise, okay, whatever you want to do. I had that with yeah. a game. Uh, I won't yeah. name the game. It's a classic game. It's the most played game. Okay, so people know what this game is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, someone had the classic idea of saying, "Oh yeah, but I'd like it to be grittier." So I'm gonna I'm gonna remove the uh, I don't even remember what they called uh, the daily rest or the weekly rest. You you cannot do you cannot do a short rest. Huh. And I Interesting. was <laughs> what this game would be. Yeah, what this huh. game might be. And I was playing. Uh, it happened to be one of those games with a class called a monk. And uh, I was like, oh, you, you play, uh, I play a monk, but there's no short rest anymore because it's grittier. And I was like, actually, you just destroyed what I can do because I do three things and then I can punch things. <laughs> I don't have powers anymore. Yeah. So thank you very much. My character is going to go there and sleep <laughs> for eight hours. Yeah, I've, I've hit that sometimes where, like, I love 13th Age. 13th Age is my, if you're gonna, if we're going to play that kind of trad D&D feel game, I, 13th Age is what I'm going to play. Um, and, but my general thing has been to, they have icon roles as a system, and I, I don't usually do it, in general, I haven't done it at the start of each session, but now we've got a character, uh, one of the players has a, uh, a thing that's keyed on the, the icon rule. So, okay, yeah, change my style to match it. If I don't want to uh, uh, shortchange a player uh, just because I want to kind of uh, get through something fast. But uh, but I try to be flexible. Yeah, it's, it's funny because actually I played another monk in 13 Age and I sort of had the opposite situation. Because, okay, I was presented with all those rules and it was a bit much oh, just yeah. for one shot. That is the rules heaviest. But it uh, looked cool, classes. you know. It looked cool. It was like, okay, I'm in for that. Uh, tactical, but it could be nice. But it came across to me that, okay, the game master was doing theater of the mind. Okay, fine. But all the powers of my monks were related to giving free movements or having free movements and being able to be, I don't know, long distance and coming melee range to his thing and then end up in range weapon uh, range uh, again. But because rule of cool and all of that was theater of the mind, it was another case of, okay, 90% of my powers are I use less <laughs> because they do stuff which we 
do not include in the session today because we we say okay rule of cool we're not too fussy about are you at melee or range attack but then it was yeah then then that system specifically is not working or at least not that task it's it's where having even the 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 smallest debrief at the end of a session you know in a gauntlet generally the fallback is stars and wishes stars being at the end of session tell us something you enjoyed or or dug and wishes being things you'd like to see more of or things you want to change things like that it's it's we're having a culture where the gm is willing to listen to that feedback and go oh the way i'm handling this is shortchanging your character do you as a player want to change if you don't want to want to make that change you know how should i change it you know and and, and being a gm being flexible um which is hard it is hard as a gm to to learn to listen to that kind of feedback at the end and and integrate that i was i was terrified of doing that uh <laughs> four or five years ago when i first started i didn't want to do that rich rogers did that every session i was like screw that um uh but but it's maybe a better gm um and you have to it's great that we have players that are willing to say hey this isn't working for me for this reason um is there something we can do about that uh, you know i think there on, on both sides there's the gm being being willing to take feedback and players not being afraid to say hey this is this is uh, this is not working for me how how can we how can we get this to work for me or can we see more of this in the game i really like this or it fits with my character i'd like to to emphasize that and that conversation and negotiation i think is is so important. You know, a lot of people don't like to talk about the meta. Like we don't we want to stay in the game, but but I, I think you have to talk about that meta level and, and uh, staging it as a constant thing you do at the end of the session. It reassures players that okay, I'm going to get through the, the session, but I'm going to have a chance to say at the end, you know, if there was something that didn't quite click for me. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things. It's a culture it's not because mm -hmm. i could you know before being at the gauntlet and it applied to safety tools the x cards and and the wishes and so on these are the sort of stuff the sort of advice i would hear on the podcast and then you show up at your regular table and you're like hey hey folks uh we're gonna do wishes and tones and stars and at the end of the session and and people are like I don't know. <laughs> I don't like that. So, what, did you enjoy the game? What was your least liked moment in the game? And people are like, oh, I don't know. It was fine. And they, they, they shy. You, you're shy as a game master a bit to ask the question, and they can tell. And they shy to express that because they're not mm -hmm. sure about it. But if you show up at a game at a club or the gauntlet where it's common practice, you just the newcomer, and you just see the other people doing it around you, and it's easy into doing it uh how it's done and so on because uh yeah we yeah we tend to to read and express a lot of advice or a number of things which are good advice but they're not as easy to apply as you read it and you, you do it at your table yeah i i, I think parallel to that one of the things that gms have to get used to too is it, especially in that structure is giving permission to players to just say hey i don't have anything or or I, I, you know, come back to me. Um, 
because sometimes when you when you do that thing, you like want to get feedback, you want to get impressions. But some players, that's not their that's not their bag. If it isn't, okay, cool. Uh, you know, give them a thumbs up for for saying that they didn't want to, or or don't have anything they want to say, and move on. Great. Well, moving on uh, on that, uh, we way past the one hour mark. Uh, did we forget something you wanted to plug today? Uh, no, I guess I would say, um, and of course, you probably link to this. Uh, the, the gauntlet is this online gaming community, uh, and we have a hundred plus sessions on the calendar. We've got people from all kinds of time zones, Europe, uh, all across the U.S. We've got a, a number of uh, Southeast Asian Australian players now, uh, and. You can find out more about that at gauntlet-rpg.com. Uh, if you go there, you can see our blog, uh, which we, we do uh, have, a, have a big backlog of posts. We have our full podcast network there. Uh, we have links to a ton of online play resources that are free uh, at the site. So it's it's a really good place to go and and, and check out. Definitely, yeah. And I, I will include links to all of that in the the description on YouTube, or if you're listening to this on the audio in the description of the episode, just click there, and uh, you will find your way to the gauntlet, and hopefully we will be playing together very soon. My voice is a mess. Oh, yeah, it's going, boy. Oh, wow. Uh, thank you so much for joining, Lowell, and, uh, well, hopefully we'll play again uh, very soon together. Great. Thank you. Cheers, bye everyone, and thanks to the people in the, the chat room. We had a, a lot of people today. Bye. Bye bye. Our logo is designed by Roland Kunz. Our theme song is Playtime by Jazar, which you can download on the free music archive. A video version of this episode is available on YouTube. Please consider subscribing to our channel there. Leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you would like more Café Rollist, you can also get access to our archive of 100 or so additional episodes via Patreon. If you want to be informed of everything released by The Rollist, we have a monthly newsletter for you to join. And if you want to contribute via the chat room to one of our recordings, subscribe to our Twitch channel and social media accounts to be informed of when streams are happening. Finally, links to everything I just mentioned can be found in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening to us, and remember, you are the Rollist!